it was very stressful. Tennessee baseball held on, and then you immediately pretty much flipped it over to watch Tennessee, Missouri, and then you watched eight minutes of basketball to start the game, where the score was four to two. Which, on one hand, you scored four points in eight minutes, and you're like, oh my God, what's happened to this team? On the other hand, you were winning. So you're like, hey, it's not that bad. And you even went to the TV timeout with a three-point play that they got you up 6-2. to two. Bob, what were your thoughts watching Tennessee just <laughs> roll around in the filth for about you know 25 to 30 minutes of, of game time with, th- with the winless, the defeated Missouri Tigers? I think, if I recall correctly, I think it was one nothing at the first TV timeout. I mean, it was. Yeah. I thought my ESPN app was broken. Yeah. <laughs> like, I had to go to the bathroom, and so I came out, and then I was like, 1-0? Four minutes into the game, this is broken. Yeah. I had some people in my life that had said that they thought they had accidentally pulled up the Tennessee baseball score. Yeah. <laughs> when it was like 4-2. to two. Sure. Like, oh, I thought I pulled up the baseball score. That's good. Um, it, it, I don't know if you, you all saw on X, but – we were getting some national love. That's how bad it was. You know, it wasn't just our fan base talking about it. There were others nationally going, you know, this is setting basketball back about three decades and, you know, all sorts of stuff. I can honestly say that may be one of the worst first halves, maybe the worst half of basketball, certainly one of the worst I've seen recently, maybe ever. I mean, it was – it was horrible. Um, the team you were rooting for, their productivity it was – was it just me? Did it feel like they were passing up shots too? For a while they weren't taking shots. Um, and then Missouri was hitting – it's just one of those deals. We, we went through it with A&M, started to go through it at the beginning last week with uh, Arkansas. All of a sudden it's like, okay, so now Missouri's going to hit shots now. Um because they were jacking up threes all over the place, and you know they were falling. It finally leveled out over time, but um, and all I could keep thinking about is this team cannot lose to Coach Webster. That is funny. I did see it whenever I was watching it. Uh, <laughs> it was a hit in my group chat too. I didn't give you credit, so yeah, don't listen to the show. It's their fault. That's okay. That's all right. It, I really I see it, and I I feel bad for that dude though. That's got to be a hard. That's just got to be hard to watch that team. I mean, yeah, he's making money. He's getting paid a couple true. million dollars to do it. So I don't feel too bad for him. And he he had some pretty good luck last year. So this is just kind of what we call regression to the mean. But yeah, you know they they were trying. They haven't quit on him. So yeah. like you know you can at least say that for him. And and you know the. Top five balls, the class of the SEC was in town, and they wanted to win. And you had that dork Eli Drinkwitz out there, you know, trying to troll. And, you know, that's one of the things I'll never forgive Joe Milton for, is losing to that Missouri team. Yeah. And and letting Drinkwitz hang that over you. Like, Tennessee has given signature wins to him and to Shane Beamer. And those are two things that I'll never kind of forget or forgive. It was tough watching him be so dorky, hearing stories of him chanting and tackling our players. Yeah, do we think that's real? I mean, it sounded like I listened to one of the wrap-up shows in town, and, you know, Richard West posted it, which, of course, means, you know, 
you can't use that as a as a credible source. But uh, but one of the wrap up shows in town said no, they specifically heard from someone who was there that and sat nearby that that's what was going on. So I don't know. I, it seems a little much to me, honestly. Even I mean, Drinkwitz is a clown, but I'd I'd be surprised. I don't know. Just him being in the crowd was enough. Yeah. I mean, it, I get it. You're you're trying to support your team. It was a lot cooler this weekend when Don Staley was like in the front row watching South Carolina basketball, you know, in their weekend series because you know she's a winner. And then Eli doing it just kind of gave you the ick because it's zero and twelve team and like just just stay hidden, I guess. But it was ugly, but it was a win, and an ugly win is better than the alternative. It would have been a crippling loss. <laughs> it felt like the final preseason game. That's what I called it yesterday. I got some texts from from people saying, wow, you really jinxed the team by saying you didn't bother to w- read Will's preview and to go ahead and write this off as a win. I was like, yep, last time I talked like this was a South Carolina game and saw what happened there. So, yeah, maybe I do need to quit being so dismissive of Tennessee's opponents because maybe in college basketball almost no team is good enough just to show up and win on the road. Maybe that's the case. I don't know. But felt really foolish. But then you had a second-half performance that I thought looked more like what we expected Tennessee to look like. The offense was scoring. Dalton Connect, you kind of knew once he hit his little long two baseline jumper that he was about to get going. You had a feeling that was going to be the case. He's a streaky player. And then, of course, he dominated from that stretch on. I believe he was responsible for like 21 points from that moment. When he hits the baseline jumper with 13.30 left, he, he then went on, I believe, and scored or assisted on 21 points, put the team on his back, and had a had an SEC player of the year type of second half. Yeah, at one point he was shooting 2 for 10, ended up 6 for 16. So he definitely he, – well, At one point I believe he was 0 for 7. Yeah, he was. Yeah, so yeah. I mean two, the 2 for 10 was a felt like he was getting hot because, yeah, I mean, he would have been 2 for his last 3. The, the 0 for 7 to start the game. Yeah, so if you look at that, then he goes six for his last nine. It's mm-hmm. pretty good. And that that look off pass he threw underneath too was like that was a that was a nice assist. That was beautiful. And yeah. Um It was almost as good. I, I still put the Georgia one he had to Jonas during that comeback. I still put it ahead of that because that's when he was really cooking and drew a double team and whipped a br- you know, a, br- a beautiful brilliant no look pass to Adu for a big dunk. The Waka one last night was just a, a hair under that for me, but both of those going to be on his draft highlight package. Yeah, he had five turnovers, but he was ho- he was handling the ball so much. I mean, uh, and some of them were at the end were pretty <laughs> pretty horrific turnovers, <laughs> to be honest with you. But but again, the amount of time he's handling the ball, I guess we have to expect some of that because the defenses are just you know they're doubling, they're trapping, they're doing whatever they can to try to shut him down. Uh, yeah, I feel like that was a misstep from Barnes having him bring the ball to the court. Like, I, I don't feel like Connect's handle is his strength. I feel like that's probably his weakness, honestly. If you go back and watch the Purdue game or the maybe NC State did it as well, but like they really swarmed the ball and he was, you know, turning the ball over a lot in those games. I don't really want him bringing the ball up full court for energy purposes or for, you know, success. I don't think he can do it. I don't think he can beat a press. I don't think he can beat pressure in the backcourt, which that's something he's going to have to work on this offseason, you know, leaning into the combine and leaning into the draft. But 
that was more so an indictment, I think, on how Barnes felt like Zakai was playing last night because he was also a little loose with the ball, a little reckless with the ball. And, you know, I think he got fouled late in the game on his turnover. They kind of rode him out of bounds, but he even he turned it over trying to break the press. And it was an ugly finish to the game. So you kind of sandwiched the game with some of your worst basketball of the season. Your first eight minutes of the game and then your last, like, three minutes of the game, you, you didn't hit a field goal and you – got sloppy and turned the ball over and took a 13-point lead down to five at the buzzer. Yeah, I know somebody that took a halftime line at Tennessee yeah. minus five and a half. Yeah, I had a buddy that had the same thing. Jesus. Because I, I, at one point, it felt like, okay, we're not only, you know, we're going to win, but we're also, we may cover the original line. I mean, well, you're up 13, and it yeah. looks like you were you were, were about to after, I believe, Awaka uh, put you up 13. Speaking of Awaka, and, and there are a couple of things that I thought about last night, and we certainly don't need to reaffirm how good Will Warren is, but we're going to here. And that was Missouri's f- propensity to foul is ridiculous. And, I mean, I'm watching uh, Coach Webster over there talking to the refs and complaining, but it's like, man, your guys are just like, you know, running into people basically. But – the other thing that we talked about with Will was that the big guys should should do should do some good. And man, did they ever! As a matter of fact, Barnes, I guess, decided he went back to old school. He had them both in a good portion of the time. Well, I thought that was a good mix there. You know, it doesn't always work. And if you do lose the two bigs and the spacing gets ruined, then you kind of look and say, "What the hell are you doing?" But Connect got it going, and then you know, Adu and. Awaka were your you know your second and third best players or or two of your three best players. I think Awaka was your best player last night and he played great. In the second half, Jonas was was back to being good. So, you know, I, I think in the first half, the the team was nine of thirty from the field at halftime, and that was with Awaka being three of four and having eight points. So like if you just removed him, the team was six of twenty six for eighteen points. He was he was you know keeping them somewhat afloat, and then. In the second half, you got a different Jonas. You get you got an aggressive Jonas. He was grabbing some offensive rebounds, which was something Missouri was really bad at stopping. We knew that coming into the game. I think they were three hundred and I think fifty second, if I remember correctly, from Will's preview at offensive rebound percentage. So you kind of thought, hey, if Tennessee's missing shots, at least they'll be able to get rebounds and extra looks. That didn't really happen too much in the first half. But in the second half, when you needed it to it happened, and you got some putbacks, and including two big ones from Jonas during Connect's run. You know, I said Connect assisted or scored on 21 points, but I'm counting two of those putbacks from Jonas as assists. I know they aren't technically assists, but they were him breaking the defense down, drawing attention at the rim, which allowed Jonas to have the weak side rebound putbacks. And, and one was basically a little alley-oop on an air ball where Jonas caught it with one hand and flipped it back up, and, and those plays were, were big, and I think that was from Connect getting downhill and just attacking the rim and putting the pressure on the defense. You talk about vibes all the time. I felt that that little Jonas putback was huge, huge, because, first of all, you know, whatever Connect was doing there, my my reaction as a viewer and as a fan was like, what the hell? And then he got that and did that little one-handed push back in, and that was at a critical point in time, too. You know, it was still early enough in the second half that Missouri was – I think Missouri was still in the lead at yeah, that they, point. Yeah, they were. I believe it was around the 11-minute mark, and I believe cut Tennessee – or cut the lead back down to one. Right. So, uh, yeah, I agree with everything. I mean, you you look at that combined line for a walk and an A-do, 32 points, 14 boards, five blocks, most of those from Jonas. I mean, 
and Tobe looked again, man. Sometimes it's a liability. I felt last night it was it worked in our favor. He played like he was playing angry underneath, man. He was he was great. Waka 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 waka. Did you see? I texted you. That? I did. Yeah. He was gobbling up those rebounds. Yeah. God. Yeah. He was he was what eighteen and ten, I think. Yeah. Yeah. The best game of his career, and and quite frankly. More of the guy that I thought we were going to get all season whenever you looked at his offseason and his progression and how he performed at the Team USA U19. That, that's the Awaka, you know, not 18 and 10, but that same type of aggression, that same type of skill and touch. Hit a jumper, was 6 of 7 from the free throw line, 10 rebounds. Was Like I said, Tennessee's best player for the entire 40 minutes. But, I mean, yeah, he put up 18 and 10 in 22 minutes. You know, that, that's that's big time. That saved the game. And then, yeah, Connect had that five-minute stretch where he was the SEC Player of the Year again because in the first half it looked like he was throwing the award away. And quite frankly, I was I was not wanting him to get it with how poorly he was playing. I was like, if you're going to be at the SEC Player of the Year, you can't come out and lay an 0-7 stinker against Missouri. That's what the halftime show was about. They were starting to talk about Sears from Bama, and they were like, well, this guy's got better stats all around, blah, 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 blah. And it was like – Felt like it was just slipping out of Dalton's hands in that first half. And then he come out and he had, like I said, as good of a five-minute stretch as you'll see from a player. Ends up with 17 points, 15 in the second half, 10 rebounds. And just the impact, again, from from putting his head down, getting to the rim, I just thought was was really, really good. It was a five-point game with 13 minutes left. He hits a, He hits a jumper. They come down, they score. Connect comes back, hits a big three. We get a stop. He attacks. That's the first Jonas put back to tie the game. So you think, okay, maybe at that point, you know you're going to kind of take over. That wasn't the case. Missouri hits a three. They're back up three. Connect comes right back down again. That's the alley-oop or the, the air ball, one-handed put back. Uh, another you know play where Connect crashed and, and made the defense react and you know allowed Jonas to have that weak side put back. We get a stop. Connect made layup. Turnover. Connect made three. They hit a three. Connect comes back and answers with his own jumper. We get another turnover. Connect hits a three. And you go from down five to up six. And, you know, that was the difference in the game, obviously. That was the moment where you you had that 11-point burst, all fueled by Connect. All fueled by Connect. And I don't know if it's been a concerted effort, if it's been strategy from the coaching staff, if it's if they've gotten in Connect's head, if he knows that this is the better way to to win and play. But like, the team's been sharing the ball a lot more. You haven't had the heliocentric, where he is the sun and everyone is revolving around him and spinning around him and orbiting or whatever the hell they do in space. I don't know, but he's the sun of the team and everything works around him. You haven't had that in the last couple games, but. If you could kind of combine that and let everyone touch the ball until you need to go, and then he's still capable of taking over, I do think that's a pretty good balance. 865-546-8200 if you want to weigh in and talk ball with us. 865-546-8200. We'll continue the conversation after the break. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. Back in the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios. You know the drill by now. Drink White Claw. Support the people who support us. 
appreciate Cherokee Distributing for their support locally and for helping fuel and hydrate Fan Run Radio. Drinkwitz. Man, he's such a nerd. And Sam, you saw the level one violations post going around last night, and people were circulating that one and getting mad, but that one I do remember from a couple years ago, but it did happen. And, like, he does have, like, for lack of a better term, a hard-on for Tennessee. He does. Like, he he is in love with Tennessee, and he's obsessed with taking shots at Tennessee. The level one violations, you know, trying to negate his loss to Jeremy Pruitt as he managed to be one of three teams that actually lost to that team in 2020, one of those being Vanderbilt. So really, one of two teams that managed to lose to Jeremy Pruitt. I understand that hurts. The stand on business with Hypel, whatever. I mean, I, I kind of get that he's mad at Hypel because Hypel hung 60 on him two years in a row. The first year, I don't think there's anything that you could blame Hypel for because that was just like, hey, Steve Wilkes and your defense couldn't stop Tennessee from running the ball down your throat. The second one in Knoxville, I, I understood Drinkwitz maybe feeling a type of way about that because you are in. You have Joe Milton in the game in the fourth quarter throwing bombs down the field, like launching them. I understood if he was a little hurt by that one. But, like, I understand Heupel running the score up if that's the case because of the way Drinkwitz was acting before then with the level one violations. And I don't know if you remember the Jim Rome phone call where he went on there and took shots at Tennessee for, for five minutes and did his whole comedy routine. So, like... The beef there is does seem to be real. We don't play them this year, which kind of wish we did. That could be a de facto playoff game when you come and you look at like who's being projected kind of as the the ninth, tenth, or eleventh best team in the country. Like that could be easily be Missouri with their schedule, and that could easily be Tennessee with their schedule. It'd be nice to kind of have that one in Knoxville and kind of humiliate them and knock them down. You're not gonna get it though. Maybe next year. But just, I mean, on one hand, it really, really sucks that you gave him his signature win. On the other hand, he's still a loser. Then on the third hand, I I do think he's a pretty good troll. He's successful at what he does in terms of trolling because it does make people mad. On the fourth hand, we probably have a lot of real estate in his head, too. Yeah, but he's he's feeling good right now, though. Like, it, we do have real estate. We have a house and everything. But, like, he's on our couch with his feet up. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's got mud and dirt all over our couch. Like, he, he can say that right now because he did whip our ass in the fall. He did. He made you stare at it. Like, he he, he whipped it out and he, he put it right on Heupel's head. He did. He did. He, he, he dominated you. And that was the low point, I think, of Tennessee's football season. He gave it to you. He, um... He, he definitely likes to troll. Tennessee's been the... The, bearing the brunt of that, he also, if you recall, on that, uh, the you know the the college football playoff and New Year's Six selection day. Remember, he got interviewed on ESPN and he did the whole at the end look. Hey, hey guys, I got to go. I got to take a call from Connor Stallions. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know he he definitely likes to to poke people. Um, I was just looking at him last night and I was saying to you guys in the break, I think. He he just he just looks goofy. If he uh, 
with the visor, he looks better. He should have a visor on at all times. Well, that does what that does help make the troll more successful though, because yeah. he looks so goofy. Like yeah. he, he he looks like a dork. He's he's Andy from the Office mixed with uh, yes. whatever that one character is from Wolf of Wall Street. So the, <laughs> the 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 fourth guy in the crew, oh, or whatever you, the fifth guy in the crew. About. Yes, that's good. Yeah, I always think of uh, Andy, but yes, the Wolf of Wall Street guy is a good mix. He's a good mix of that. The basketball team at Missouri, unfortunately for him, is pretty terrible this year. But you almost lost to them. You almost gave them their signature win of the season, their one SEC win. But we didn't. It's all that matters. We didn't lose. We won. We avoided a disaster. Seed dropping line. It was a game that was probably hard to get up for for Tennessee in the grind of an SEC season. Whenever you kind of know what's coming at you. So I'm not going to panic. Style points don't really matter for Tennessee at this point. Wins are the only thing that matter. You're chasing an SEC championship. You're chasing a a two seed with an outside shot at a one seed. They're not going to say, well, you know, we're going to give Tennessee a one seed, but they only beat Missouri by five. They were down to Missouri at halftime. They're not going to say that. They're just going to look and say Tennessee has won X amount of games of their last X amount of games, look at their record, look at their overall, no quad three losses, no quad four losses. Like, that. that's what they're going to say. Which, by the way, Arizona does have one of those. Arizona Arizona has a loss to a, a Missouri this year. And, and it didn't disqualify them from a one seed. Like, I, I've been mad and a little surprised, like, you know, reading Joe Lenardi talk about how the gap between Tennessee and Arizona is wide. I don't really understand that. I don't get it. I understand they got a you know a couple more quad one wins, but they also have a loss to a team like last night that was Missouri. Basically, they have one of those losses. I have one more topic tied to Missouri or that game to discuss, and that is oh yeah for sure. Um, and I know we've talked about this guy a lot, but last night and I was texting with a friend about it too. Um, they reached out to me first. Humble brag. <laughs> no, not, yeah, I guess I, that did sound like that. I don't text my friends. They text me. <laughs> they know I'm the sports expert now. Now, my point was he brought up the topic, which uh, was one Jordan Ganey, 25 minutes. I thought Ganey was solid, though. Like, I mean, like, especially in a game where Vescovy wasn't, I had no problem with Ganey. I would have, if Ganey would have played 30 minutes last night, I wouldn't have had an issue with it. But based on what? I, when you say solid, I mean, he, he was one of two. He, you know, yeah, I mean. I just like the energy that he brings. Like, sometimes with Santi, like, man, you you wonder, and, and Josiah, you wonder, do these guys even like being out on the basketball court? I never feel that way about Ganey. And sometimes, like, you know, again, vibes, sometimes that matters. Like, sometimes just flying around and having energy matters. And I did feel like last night was a game where that, where that did kind of matter, where – you know, Ganey surprisingly only shot the ball two times. I don't know exactly, you know, what their coverage was or how many open looks he passed up. But like when you're when you're judging guys who pass up open looks, he he ranks very low, you know, on, on that scale. Like he's usually willing to shoot. He's usually willing to go out there and play with energy. And like I said, sometimes with Vescovy, man, I don't see it. Yeah. Well, I felt I felt it was one of those cardio games um, because what I would say is that the 
if he's producing, I'm fine with it. But is it happening at the expense of minutes for Mayshack? Mayshack only played 11. Yeah. You know, that's that's the part that I guess I should have clarified that is, um, I don't know. That, that's just That was just an observation. I just think uh, I, I don't love Mayshack getting less minutes uh, like he did last night. Yeah, okay, so if you're t- if you're comparing it to Mayshack, sure. I-, I don't understand how he could be such a big part of the Alabama game and play so well and then, you know, basically have his minutes shrink after that. You know, I know he's not the best offensive player, and, and, and I get that, but it does feel like, you know, 28 minutes against Alabama, I thought he was good offensively. I thought he was great defensively. Right. He hasn't broken – 15 minutes other than once since then. And that was the game where he played, I believe, one minute in the first half. And then Barnes just played in the entire second half pretty much against Texas A&M. So, like, I don't even really count that. Like, he's been a 13 to 15 minutes a game guy. And it is a little surprising, especially whenever you have Vescovy and Josiah, you know, continuing their thing of we're not really going to shoot, we're not really going to score. We're just going to kind of be out here. We'll play defense, and Vescovy is going to grab five rebounds, and he is going to look like he cares on defense. And he made a couple of really good steals. So, like, it's not fair that I said Vescovy looks like he didn't care, but you do get that vibe sometimes on the offensive side. Everything's kind of lethargic on offense. The pump fakes, the sidesteps. I'm going to pump fake three times. I'm not going to shoot the ball. Like, that drives you crazy. On defense, I think Vescovy has brought it every time he's been on the court, and I thought last night – he brought it as well. You know, he had a couple of really good steals and a couple of good hustle plays saving the ball. So, like, you know, he, he also rebounded. So, I, I don't want to say he doesn't care because he does still play hard on defense. Last thing before we uh, – I know we got a caller waiting, but Josiah, when he came in late, I actually felt good about that. I thought that was a good substitution uh, because what was happening – I think he came in for Tobey at the end just because they were – I think Toby was having trouble closing out on some of the stuff they were doing up up top. But. Plus, you want another ball handler right, and, and a right. guy. I mean, you give Josiah credit for free throw shooting, although Awaka has been really good at free throw shooting so far this year. But the ball handling was important, and the yeah, the versatility to chase people off the three point line, and and also like, hey, Josiah, I know you kind of got benched, but here you get back in the game during closing time, and that's kind of a an olive branch, if you will, right. to that player. Eight six five five four six eighty two hundred. Jordan's on the line. Jordan, welcome to the morning show. The floor is yours. Hey, good morning, guys. Morning. Uh, hope you have guys have a good day. Um, I just want to call in real quick. You may have mentioned this in the first segment. If so, I missed it, and I apologize. But um, kind of looking forward just a minute. Rick Barnes sits at 799 career wins. And Saturday night in, uh, inside Thomas Bowen Arena against the Aggies, he has a chance to be the only 14th coach in Division I history to eclipse 800 wins. So it could be a milestone night. Uh, for Tennessee and for Rick Barnes uh, in the Texas A&M game, they're out for revenge because of how they played a couple of weeks ago. Um, so it could be it could be a good celebra- uh, celebration top night inside of Thompson Bowling. But one question I did want to ask about that game <clears throat> is you, you mentioned earlier about how good the lineup was with Awaka and Adu to be able to get some boards. Do you think that that is something that Barnes may look at again come Saturday night? considering how bad they dominated us down in College Station uh, on the boards uh, to be able to get a walk-in, Adu in there. Um, because, you know, that since that game, Texas A&M has shot right at 29% yeah. from three. So yeah. it looks yeah. like that game down there was an outlier where they just got hot on a random night. Um, and they did cool off in the second half. But the reason they really ended up winning that game is they just flat-out dominated us and second-chance points 
end on the offensive glass. So I just want to get your guys' opinion on what you thought. Maybe do we see that again for a longer extended period of time come Saturday night? Yeah, Jordan, appreciate the phone call, buddy. You know, I think that the success of it last night and, quite frankly, the success of Awaka and the aggression from Awaka does probably make Barnes want to act up and go back to the old him. <laughs> but, you know, if if it works like it did last night – you're not going to hear much complaining from people. Against A&M, who did kind of bully you a little bit, you know, if he goes to that and Tennessee is just really aggressive and and it works again, then, yeah, of course, it's going to feel good. The problem is, with me, you you got to have spacing still. And if Connect is on fire and Connect is that guy and is drawing that attention and still opening up those lanes, then it'll work. Especially, you know, who are the other two guys out there with him? I feel like it was Ganey and... Who was the third person? I made a note of that, but it was like Vescovy at times, Zakai at Zakai. times. But I, like, that's what I remember. Was I remember Zakai getting bitched, though, whenever Tennessee kind of went on the run, I feel like. Uh, maybe not, but, you know, the, the other three guys that play with the double lineups, th- those are important. Like, it, You know, I know we talked about Meshack, but you can't have really Meshack and a walk out there together, especially if Jonas is going to be yeah. there, too. That, that just completely kills your spacing. But if you're telling me it's Jonas and a Awaka – Mixed with connect and, and two shooters, especially a Ganey that's hitting, then, yeah, I think it can maybe work. Because, you know, I said it earlier. I thought Awaka was your best player last night. I thought Jonas was your third best player. It, it's tough to only play those guys 20 minutes a game, basically, on average. You know, two guys split up 40 minutes. But, like, yeah. being able to kind of play some minutes together and and do some things does help whenever Awaka's hitting free throws especially. And, you know, Jonas needs to get the mid-range confidence back. I think that's two air balls two weeks in a row or two games in a row he's thrown up from about 12 feet. Ugly, ugly 12-feet jumpers. He needs to fix that. Yeah. I think it's, to Jordan's question, I think it's situational. At least I hope so because I don't want to I don't want to see Barnes go back to his old self as you put it John but I you know I think that last night's game we talked we did talk about this earlier it dictated it you got a team that fouls a lot um they aren't that big they had one of their bigs foul out with like 11 minutes to go in the game yeah so it made sense last night to me it really did uh plus not a lot was happening from outside and you know Dalton started hitting a little but um, but A&M might be a good one to, to run that kind of rotation against. I saw last night, you know, by the way, they lost at home to Arkansas. and uh, But that Anderson Garcia cat had 15 boards again last night. I mean, that guy is a, he's a monster. I think he, I think he leads the – somebody said he might be one of the tops in the nation in rebounding, and if he has a bunch of games like that, I guess that's true. But uh, – Maybe it's an Awaka thing, like per forty minutes or whatever. Yeah. You know, if, if he was getting more minutes, because he's a bench player, right? Like so, maybe yeah. maybe he's not getting enough to qualify for the the best in the uh, country. But yeah, but that yeah that had it in our notes about Barnes. You know, this could be really special Saturday to get his eight hundredth win, revenge game against A and M. A and M's reeling a little bit. This again, we were saying this twenty four hours ago against Missouri that this shouldn't be much of a game, but uh, boy. I, th- I think Tennessee has a lot to play for now, um, and and a lot on Saturday that's 
that's more psychic income. It's not even, you know, it's not even about what it means, you know, to the, to the brackets. Just take care of Texas A&M. They should. Have either one of you looked up the list of the 13 coaches with 800 wins? Uh-uh. No. Ready for a little PK shootout? You guys going to rotate and see who can name the most of them? Sure. Yeah. Let's go. Three minutes. Let's go. Who wants to go first? Bob, you want to go first or second? Uh, it doesn't matter. Let's let's give it to Sam. He wow. Can. He said he doesn't respect you, Sam. He said you're <laughs> going first. It doesn't matter. I'll take Coach K to start. 12-02, number one. Um, the guy I despised, but he was a legend, Bobby Knight. Bobby Knight, number four, 899. One shy of 900. Um, that drives him crazy. Jim Behan. Number two. It kind of surprises me, but I guess he's there for a long time. 1116. Number two for Jim Behan. Oh. Roy Williams? Number three. You guys are doing good. You got the top four. Number three, 903 for Roy Williams. Um, Let's stick it house. Dean Smith. Number five. The top five. 879 wins for Dean Smith. Now it gets interesting. Now it gets interesting. And you let Sam go first, so he's got a lead on you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Lute Olson. Lute Olson is not in the 800 win club. He is number 16 all time, 776. Sam, you can put the pressure on here. Up three Um, to two. Um, Or is it four to three? I'm not even doing my job of keeping score. Damn, 800 wins. Three to two. Does did Jim Calhoun have 800 wins at UConn? Number six. Let's go. 877. Good job by you, Sam. Bob, you got to get this to stay alive after this. Oh man, you got to get this to stay alive. You should have went first. You should have <laughs> taken the Coach K layup. <laughs> um. God, I don't know. John Wooden? Hmm. John Wooden, uh, not on the list. I don't I don't know if they just didn't play enough games back then or what, but let me make sure. Let me see where he comes in at. He comes in at number 34. He's all, he's way down the list. 664 wins. You guys left some legends on the table. Uh, Adolph Rupp, ah. Bob Huggins, John Calipari, does Rick, my, Rick Pitino. Oh, does my guy Rick Bird from Belmont have 800? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, Rick Pitino, Cliff Ellis, Bill Self, and Eddie Sutton. Rick Bird, uh, let's see. He has 415, according to this list, which I don't know if that's accurate or what. Maybe he's got a lot more than that. Maybe know. maybe was Belmont maybe not Division One when he first started or something? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Good job by you, Sam, though. Bob, uh, <laughs> C-plus from you. Yeah, I know. Cliff Ellis is a sneaky one, though. I don't know who Cliff Ellis is. Who is Cliff Ellis? He's the coach at Clemson. Coached it for me. I know Bruce took Auburn to the Final Four back in 19. He coached an Auburn team. They played in a regional here in Knoxville back when they were still doing that. It was one of the funnest teams I've ever seen. They had a guy, Chris Porter, who could jump through the roof, had a had a fro about the size of uh, – both our heads combined. I mean, he was just he was just a character, but a freaky athlete. They got to the Sweet 16 that year. I think Ohio State beat them with the Scooney Pen at point guard. But Ellis had a lot of success, but you don't really hear much about it. I think he's actually – he might even be on the radio team for Auburn basketball now, like the color analyst. So, 
yeah, he's a guy who's won a bunch of games, but like you just said, a lot of people don't know about him. Fair enough. Yeah, I think I think Bird's problem was I don't think Belmont was considered Division One till the ninety nine two thousand season because ah. on Google it does say that he coached for thirty eight years at Belmont and won eight hundred five games. Okay, but on his like actual coaching uh, basketball reference page, it starts in ninety nine and only has four hundred fifteen, which Makes is what sense. they register. So I'll give you partial credit for that. Okay, hour one of the books. We'll kick off hour two with some things you might have missed from yesterday. About last night. Stick with us. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. College football made it official. The powers that be made it official yesterday. We are headed for a 5 plus 7 college football playoff this upcoming year. 5 plus 7. We got the dates of when it'll be. The first round, go ahead and lock it in. Call off work. Well, the good news is you might not have to call off work, I guess, because of the week it is. December 20th and 21st. Those will be the first round of the college football playoffs, which Tennessee is probably going to be playing in. Have you seen the month lineup that, that it transitions into? You go. I imagine that's going to take you right into a jam-packed NFL weekend. December 20th and 21st, you've got the first round. Then the quarterfinals are on December 31st and January 1st. The semifinals on January 9th and 10th. And then January 11th through the 20th is just NFL football and then college football title game. Wow. Unbelievable. Say that one more time. December, you're basically going to have football every single day besides a 10-day gap from – December 31st to, like, January 20th, it feels like. Yeah. That feels good. Yeah. So, a Friday night. So, basically, it's a Friday, I assume night, but maybe not. Maybe it'll be, I guess, since there's going to be four games that weekend, maybe it's, those are going to be double headers then, I guess, right? The 20th is going to have I would think. maybe, like, a, a 3 o'clock start and an 8 o'clock start or a 4.30 and 8 o'clock start. Maybe how NFL does, like, wild card weekend a right, little bit. Right, right. Or even like the, I mean, the way they do like the Sunday of conference championships too, and, and you know the Friday and Saturday. Yeah, I imagine you'll get two double headers. A Friday night is interesting. I mean, I know they've said forever like the NFL is not going to play on Fridays because of a deal with high school football and all that, and college has gotten into the Friday night game at times. These are big games, though, for a Friday night. Bob, that's traditionally the weakest for TV nights, right, in terms oh, of? Oh, yeah. Friday, well. A Saturday worse, I guess? It's a toss-up. It's a toss-up between Friday and Saturday. Okay. Okay. Go ahead and mark your calendars, though. Do you prefer, Sam, for, for Tennessee, do you prefer the 20th or the 21st in terms of our uh, playoff game? Um... Probably the 21st. Yeah, a little yeah. Saturday, all-day tailgate action. I prefer January 20th, though, the title game. Well, yeah, one thing at a time. <laughs> sure. One thing at a time. I don't know if we're ready to get to the title game this year, but the playoff, like I said, go ahead and lock it in. Probably going to be in Knoxville, too. We feel good about that. Could we be a top, could we be a, somewhere between 5th and 8th? Yeah. 5th and 8th? Is that too high? It'll be you close. don't sound you, you sound like you were ready for a road trip on the twenty first. I'm more in like the ten range. Okay, I'll get us on the road then. It's gonna be tough to go in there and win a win a road playoff game. 
It's going to be tough, especially with Josh Heupel and his success or lack thereof on the road. It doesn't give me a lot of confidence. I think, Sam, it's going to be really important we get uh, – Let's just be a top eight team. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm getting nervous now too with you saying that. <laughs> feels very important that, you know, if we can get the six, the six seed, that would be pretty good because then you maybe you get the three. It's going to be weaker than the one or two, obviously. Three seeds usually you're kind of right for the pick in there. Okay. That's our goal. Be a, be the number six team. I don't want to be higher. Number six. Go with me. Okay. December 20th. That's going to be cold. These, <laughs> yeah. these, these on-campus games are going to be really cold. I don't think I fully considered that because, like, the, the ball games typically in warm climates, the championship games typically indoors – the SEC championship indoor, the national championship is always indoor. How do we feel about the December twentieth and twenty first out on college campuses? Like, what's the weather going to be like in Knoxville on the twenty first? It's going to be pretty chilly, right? Football weather. Yeah, I mean, think about just a couple of years ago, we had about four inches of snow around that time. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I remember that around Christmas. It was like twenty one or something like that, but. Uh, I mean, so many kids begging for those playoff tickets for their Christmas gift. <laughs> I remember when I was eight, trying to make the my Christmas wish. Every time they asked me to write a list for Santa, it was always just national championship tickets, please, in Tempe, Arizona. My parents were like, I don't think so. I was like, Well, that's what I'm asking for Santa. That's what I'm asking Santa for. So we'll see if he's real. We'll see if he comes through for the boy. We'll see if he's clutch. Didn't get the tickets. Didn't get to go. Had beef with the big man ever since. Gonna be so many kids asking for playoff tickets. It's gonna be cold. It's gonna be cold. Better start. <laughs> better start. You know, go ahead and thinking about that as you make your your football season purchases. Maybe get one of those jackets that's a little bit heavier. Because typically, I don't have to worry about that. Typically, like by the time November rolls around, I'm like, ah, I don't really care about going to the Vanderbilt game. It's fine. I don't really need anything too heavy when it comes to Tennessee warmth. When it comes to my gear. Basketball season, you can just wear a jacket and take it off when you get in there. You don't have to worry about anything heavy there. Baseball season, you can wear a pretty light jacket, light hoodie. Got to start thinking about December football, though. I think it's exciting. I love it. I was against it at first. I just didn't think we needed 12 teams. But I will say that I'm much more excited for the season, knowing that there is a 12-team playoff waiting for you. Versus a four. If it was a four-team playoff, like, what would we even be talking about our goals being this year? Like, let's just pretend it's a four-team playoff. Are we saying playoff or bust? Are we saying, hey, we can maybe make the playoffs? Is it, hey, ten wins are good, you know, be a top-ten team and get into the, you know, get into a New Year's Six Bowl? Is that what we're looking at? Because I got to tell you, saying the playoffs are the goal is a lot more exciting. That is a part of what I've always liked about the NFL more than college football was that there was something tangible at the end. Like, winning a championship, obviously the goal for a lot of people, but it's not realistic for a lot of people either. So as a Titans fan, I've never really been like, Super Bowl or bust. It's like, hey, let's win the division. Let's make the playoffs. Now with the Vols, we could kind of be that too. Like, national championship, yeah, it'd be nice. It'd be cool. You have the program that can do it. You have the facilities and the, the means to do it. But shoot for the playoffs, and that means a successful season. It's a lot easier to feel happier. The Orange Bowl was cool, but it wasn't like I hung my hat on it. It wasn't like I was like etching it and hanging a banner for, hey, winning the Orange Bowl. But if you make the playoff, that's 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 worthy of doing. 
So I do think from that standpoint, expanding the playoffs has been a big, big win. Because now you probably have how many fan bases, Bob, across the country that think they can make the playoffs this year? What number would you put that at? That could win the title? No, 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 no. Just make the playoffs. I'll make the playoffs? Yeah, win the title is probably like four teams, five teams. Yeah, I would say at least 20. Yeah. I think anyone ranked probably thinks they can, right? I would say so. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. I don't know, you know, if realistically the 23rd team's like looking and saying, you know, we have a chance of doing this or not. But you probably have like, what, three or four group five teams that are looking and saying, hey, they say the highest, the fifth highest ranked conference champion. There's only four conferences now that are the power conferences or whatever. So we got a shot. That probably gives you four or five teams. Is James Madison eligible this upcoming year? Because they're probably licking yeah, their chops. I yeah. think they are. They're licking their chops like, we can do this. Yeah. Well, they don't have Signetti now. You know, their coach is gone. He's gone to Indiana, so. That's true. Do you think that just means that they're done? Because, like, their programs are good at everything. Like, they're good at baseball look and they're him, good at look basketball. Look him up, John. Too. Look him up, you know. Yeah, look him up. <laughs> I know he he's win, a winner. He wins just, everywhere. Uh, maybe. Uh, sure, fair enough, you're right. Um, Google, no, Google him. Yeah, Google, Google me. Um, do you think it's such a good line. <laughs> do, you, do you think that it shifts any sort of value on the conference championship games? I think it doesn't because it's locked in that only the conference champions get to have a first round bye. But I'm I'm just saying if say it's I don't know say it's Big Twelve and say that I don't know who I'd pick out of the Big Twelve. Let's just say for the sake of argument, Baylor's undefeated, but they get to the conference championship and they lose to I don't know again Central Florida. Um, does Central Florida get? I mean, do they get placed in that? Or yeah. Is, yeah. Yeah. That's the – Well, I guess it depends. I mean, like, I guess you can't automatically say that Central Florida would in that scenario because they do have the wiggle room of saying the five highest-ranked conference champions. So, I, I do think that protects you a little bit. Let's say if UCF is 8-4 and four, or it's a weak conference, then a James Madison that's 13-0 and 0 and won their uh, conference would get in over them in terms of hosting – the first or having the first round by I should say but yeah no, I mean the conference champions get an automatic bid so the conference championship games now maybe matter more than ever before that's what I was thinking yeah um, the other thing I found interesting and you you all may have seen this but um, for once Notre Dame gets kind of pinged on this uh, because they could be number one in the country but because they're an independent the way I'm seeing it the best they can do is a five seed which, if you're them, maybe that's like a guaranteed cha-ching. It's a payday. Like, hey, we never have to worry about that first-round bye. We'll always get to host an on-campus playoff game. And if you're the number one team in the country, I don't know if, like, the AD and the president would, like, tell the truth. But, like, if you're the clear-cut number one team in the country, getting a home playoff game against the 12 seed and getting that atmosphere and getting to celebrate, because you'd probably go in there as, like, 15-point favorites or so, 12-point favorites or so, might be worth it just to get a playoff win. If you're the head coach and you can say, hey, my playoff resume, I got a win. I got a playoff win. Right. That that means more than a playoff buy because they don't put buys on resumes. Additionally, they don't have to play a conference championship game. So one less game. Yeah. You know, which is good for your team from a you know health and well-being standpoint. Yeah, it was a unanimous vote. So obviously Notre Dame didn't have a problem with it. So they might be looking at it from your, your perspective of, hey, man, we're fine with this. Now, it was a unanimous vote, but the – Conferences were the ones voting, though, right? Like, did Notre Dame get a vote on that? They did. Okay. They did. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, like, and plus if you're them and you play your last game in, at the end of November, probably don't mind, you know, getting a game three weeks later. Because if 
theoretically you were getting the the first round bye, you would go from not playing it until the end of November, like Thanksgiving weekend, to to the quarterfinals or December thirty first. That's a full month. Yeah. So maybe like, hey, you, we'll, we'll knock the rust off on the twentieth. Like I said, we'll take the twelve seed. It's no yeah. big deal. We'll yeah. be on. We'll be at home. We'll be on campus. Get to celebrate a playoff win. That's pretty cool. And could that twelve seed be the other? The, the non-Power 5 conference. Could be. So it could be Coastal I, Carolina or James Madison or someone like that. I mean, I would say most years that will the 12 seed will be the, the highest ranked yeah. group 5 champion, right? Because there's no guarantee that, that, that they get to be a – to host a playoff game, right? There's yeah. no, there's no like, safe haven. There's no safety net that's like, hey, yeah, you don't get a bye, but if you win your conference, you host a playoff game. There's none of that. They so, just, they're just guaranteed a spot. Right. So yeah. I would say most years that the highest-ranked Group 5 champion is going to be like the number 12 team, which makes for an interesting dynamic. It's got and, a, that's got a March Madness feel to it, right? Yeah, I was going to say, like, you know, if you're the five seed, you might be like, hey, we've had to play a champion. This is not fair. They're they're 13-1 and one versus my opponent, who's the sixth seed. They're playing somebody that's 9-3. and three. That's not fair. I do like the wrinkle or the possibility of like making your conference championship game though and like kind of overachieving at nine and three and then getting embarrassed and going from like rank number 11th to like 15th and missing the playoff. Yeah. Can you like decline the invitation? Like, hey, we don't want to go. We're good. <laughs> Just put us in the playoff. We're good. We're, we're ranked number 10 right now. We're in. We don't want to go out here and get our, our eyes beaten shut and, and drop those couple spots. They are literally. This is just an observational thing. They are literally calling Oregon State and Washington State the Pac-2, which cracks me up. It's like Tupac, baby. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's good. Uh, poor guys. I'm looking at the way too early top 25. So, of course, everyone in the top 12 is going to think, "Hey, playoffs are a goal." I'm just going to go down from 13 on. Utah, yeah. LSU, yeah. Oklahoma, yeah. Florida State, Tennessee. I know we're talking about it. Oklahoma State. That one feels a little iffy, but I'm sure they think, like, hey, we can win the conference, but I don't know. They don't feel like a playoff team. Clemson, down at 19. NC State. Maybe they're like, hey, if we beat Tennessee. I wonder if they're like, hey, we, why are we playing this Tennessee game? Or if they're looking at it like, hey, this is a good opportunity. Because Tennessee going to get a boost, apparently, from beating NC State if they beat NC State. I guess that's a, a game that is going to matter. It's going to be a top 20 matchup. And winning that game might carry some weight with the you know your resume. We, we keep talking about Tennessee's schedule and talking about the big three that you're playing and that you probably need to beat one of them. But maybe beating an NC State team that is ranked in the top twenty that maybe goes and, and you know goes to the ACC and wins nine games maybe that's considered a resume building win. So if you sprinkle that and you combine that with a, a home win against Florida and some road wins and beating Kentucky and such maybe that resume would be good enough at nine and three. Although I still think you probably need to beat one of your three. Kansas State, Louisville, Kansas. I think that's the cutoff. Like, Kansas isn't thinking they can make the playoff, right? They're ranked number 23, but they're not thinking they're a, they're a playoff contender. Surely not. Is Jalen Daniels back for them? I can't remember how many He's not listed on their big losses. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so 
It says if he can recover from a back injury, the Jayhawks would be dangerous, blah, blah, blah. He's a nice quarterback. But, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to act like Kansas has a great shot at the 12-team playoff. They lost three starting offensive linemen. So I feel like that's kind of the cutoff. I got Kansas, no. SMU, uh, maybe. Iowa, no. Iowa knows better. I was like, we could we could go eleven and two. They're still not putting score us twelve in. points in your season before yeah, you get to the twelve point uh, playoff. I don't know, man. They got Tim Lester. <laughs> you never know. They could be an offensive force. They could improve a little <laughs> bit on offense, scoring like nineteen a game. So I, I'll say it's closer to Bob's number of twenty than it is twenty five. Yeah. Maybe there's some unranked te- unranked teams that are thinking that, but I don't feel like that's very realistic. There'll be one team that comes from out of nowhere, as there'll be some teams that fall off, of course, in the top 25. But if you're telling me that you can get 20 fan bases excited for the postseason, I think that's a, a successful accomplishment. Because I think if it was just a four-team playoff, what does that number shrink to of teams that would think they have a chance to be a top four? Ten? Eight? Maybe. Eight, maybe? I think eight. Yeah. I'd agree. So inclusion and getting more people, more seats at the table, I, I do think is ultimately a good thing. And then, of course, I, I do think the on-campus playoff games will be really cool. There might be blowouts. That's what I'm most excited for. I can't wait for that. Yeah. So not the next round on the neutral site where you have the best eight teams in the country. You, you're more into the five through 12. I think I'll be more into the first round than the second, honestly. Just because of the newness of it? or Yeah, and know. I think I just, yeah, I mean, I just, obviously college football atmospheres are already elite in the regular season. I think if you just get that in the college football playoff, like an SEC, you know, SEC stadium, that atmosphere. I think you might be onto something there, Sam, just by saying that you're more excited for the first week versus the second week because there is a chance that, like, the second week you got your three or four juggernauts there waiting fresh. Yeah. And, and they just beat the eyes shut of the teams that come off emotional wins the week before. Yeah. Like, there's a chance that I, I said that the spreads are pretty high in week one. They might even be higher in week two. Like, I feel like it might just be the cool week one matchups of seeing home games and stuff like that. And then, you know, you get one or two decent ones in the next round. But then you're just looking forward to the four-team playoff that you always got. That eight seed that wins week one that has to go and play, you know, the number one team in the country. Maybe they maybe they have some confidence. Maybe the vibes will be high. Maybe they can come in and keep it rolling. Or maybe they yeah they're, they're like a lamb to slaughter and like hey at least we won one game we got that one win. But uh, yeah no the 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 home playoff game I do think is going to be the most interesting thing in college football next year or this upcoming season. I agree with you. What are the chances we think someone from like seven to twelve? makes it to the championship game because bob said it has a march madness feel do we actually think a team that's like seventh through 12th can can go and make the national championship because that would require them winning three games i think so if you think about some of these teams okay maybe not the perfect comparison but think about like a penn state who on paper they've done they don't do well in, you know, Franklin doesn't do well in big games, but just on paper, they've been kept from really being in meaningful games because of the division they were aligned in in the Big Ten behind Michigan and Ohio State. Right. Um, so if they could get hot, 
and that because there's a really good chance they're not in the four buys again. But could they could they go and take down someone like a Michigan? Possibly, you know. I I I think there's I think there's a few instances where a team could be getting hot at the right time and could play absolutely at the level of the four teams with buys. The team that finished seventh in the rankings this year is like Ohio State. Like you're telling me that an Ohio State team coming off of a loss to Michigan in the game gets a chance to get into the playoffs is just like that's a hungry team, you know? So they would have played what? Either they probably would have played Ole Miss, I guess, or I guess LSU would have – Oklahoma would have gotten knocked out to whatever group five team was there. So it would be like, yeah, Ohio State taking on Penn State. Yeah, they'd win that game. Could they have won two after that? Like, I just don't know if like if they couldn't beat Michigan, why do I think they would all of a sudden turn around and beat I – mean, I guess they could beat Washington maybe in the second round. Then they're playing the winner of, like, Texas and somebody. So, I guess theoretically. and Same for Oregon. You know, I think Oregon was good enough last year to to win a couple games. I thought they were the second-best team in the country all year, and I, I guess I was wrong about that. They couldn't beat Washington, but okay. The rest of, like, those teams. So, you know, this year you'd have had Florida State, Georgia, Ohio State, Oregon hosting home playoff games. Missouri, Penn State, Ole Miss, and then whatever group five team. So Florida State would have taken on Ole Miss. No, Florida State would have taken on the Group 5 team. Correct. They probably would have won. Georgia, Ole Miss. We already saw that. I don't know if we need to. See, that, that's when I lose a little excitement for the playoff game. Like We saw Georgia and Ole Miss play in the regular season. We saw them win by like 30. Is that going to be different in a playoff atmosphere? Probably not. Same as like Ohio State, Penn State. We saw that in the regular season. Yeah. I don't and know there's no way to avoid those matchups either, like they do in the NCAA tournament for basketball. You know, like they could maybe do some like because the it is it's not a computer; it is the committee like getting together. So maybe they could be like, "Hey, yeah, these teams are close enough where we could justify putting Penn State 11th and Ole Miss 10th, and then all of a sudden you get Ohio State, Ole Miss, and then yeah. that one maybe you're interested interested in." That's an interesting point too, in that. Again, if I'm drawing a comparison between college football and basketball, it may be, it may not be equivalent that, like you were just saying, a Penn State, they lose to Ohio State three weeks earlier, that they, they've got the horses to turn around and win it again. And they Bas- win two games after that as right. well. Right, and basketball's, basketball's different. That, I think, you can you could see something like that happening. But I, I, th- I think football's entirely different in that regard. And then the other 8-9 matchup, Sam, would have been Oregon hosting Missouri. I don't know if we needed that game either. Maybe maybe if you just swap out the name Missouri and make it another team that's the exact same, maybe you're interested in it. But, like, the idea of Missouri going to Oregon Would you have watched, like, too. Oregon LSU with yeah. Jaden Daniels and yeah, Malik Neighbors fun. and all them? Yeah, yeah that would have been fun. And I, I would watch all these, or at least, sure. yeah, I mean, I'd keep an eye on all these. It's just I don't think any of those would have had me excited, especially when you say that those teams that I feel like would have had their opponents overmaster at home. But you just want to see at the table, man. And there's more seats, and that's going to be fun. I think the Oregon example is a good one. I think that's a team that could, you know, I I was with you. I thought they were one of the two best teams in the country most of the season, but they just couldn't beat Washington. Right. They couldn't do it. Washington beat them twice. Kept them out. Hour two in the books. Hour three coming at you. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. Are you? In-
Hour three is brought to you by SM Athletics. Spring is in the air. Sports season's getting ready to fire back up for the youth. If you're coaching, your team mom or team dad, or running the teams yourself and you have uniform equipment, screen print, or embroidery needs for the upcoming season, give SM Athletics a call. Excellent customer service, great products at a fair price, and when they say it is done, it's done right and on time every time. Don't chance it with unreliable mega stores or online orders that just look at you as an order number. Give SM Athletics a call. They're local and they care about you. You can call them at 865-966-3434. That's 865-966-3434 or visit smathletics.com. All right, Sam, baseball season, you got your first real taste of the real season. I know the the Texas kickoff, that's a big deal, and Tennessee loves going to the MLB stadiums, and it feels like we do it every year, and that's our thing. But, like, now you you got a taste of Tennessee inside Lindsey Nelson, another game today against ETSU. you got a weekend series on the horizon. It feels like you're really off and running now. I didn't think yesterday was very impressive, obviously, as as I think Tennessee was seven and a half runs favored, favored by seven and a half runs in that game. They're supposed to, you know, we said over under of nine and a half runs scored, I believe is what we said at. Tennessee, of course, didn't do those things. They won by one, three to two against a winless team. But like I said, with basketball, a win is a win. An ugly win is better than a pretty loss. What were your takeaways? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just that. A win is a win, and it's a long baseball season. And so I think, you know, it's early to to not have too many overreactions kind of early in the season. You're still finding finding your way. The team is kind of finding their identity and finding out ways to gel. Uh, yeah, I mean, the bats definitely were not there like you wanted them to. Uh, but I think you had a great performance uh, pitching-wise, uh, and it was from some young guys as well. Uh, yeah, you, you started the true freshman on the mound in Derek Schaefer. He got out to a little bit of a shaky start, but I thought he settled in in his next two innings and, and did well. And then you you threw a sophomore in there and Andrew Benke and then a redshirt freshman and Austin Hunley. And I think Hunley really, really pitched the best out of all of them. Uh, but they combined to strike out 10, only had one walk in that game. So I think it's uh, important that you got a depth and you got the young guys in that in that pitching staff. If uh, this is a redneck question, Sam, please excuse it. Okay, I will. Please excuse it. This is a redneck overreaction question. Is there any concern for how we are approaching the beginning of games for these pitchers? Because it doesn't seem like they're coming out necessarily with their best stuff in the fir- in, in their first innings of appearances. I mean, it's not just starters. It's sometimes the relief guys you're bringing in are getting off to a bad first inning. So, like, is there any concern for that? Because it does seem like the arms – are settling down and getting going, you know, the more they pitch. And that's a good thing when they settle in. And it's early season jitters, and for some guys, their first starts. I get all that, but, like, it seems like our pitching is most vulnerable when they first come in. Sure. I mean, I guess that is a a cause for concern, absolutely. But I I wouldn't be too concerned with it overall as a whole. I think that kind of the guys that you've started so far in Texas and then last night in your home opener, I think it has been – Guys like you're saying, young guys or transfers that are just coming in and kind of having that first start, getting those those nerves and jitters out of the way. I think it's kind of just that. If it 
transitions for the next month, I think that is a cause for concern sure, or the next two sure. weeks. But, you know, I, I think by the time you get through this 15-game home stretch, you should be feeling pretty good. And, again, I, I acknowledge that might be a complete yeah. dumb question after four games, but it's something I've noticed is sure. that you have been in a little bit of trouble in the first innings of these pitchers coming in. And I didn't know if that was something with the approach with Anderson or if it's just nerves and guys missing their spots or – or whatever, and you and you've limited damage. It's not like anybody's had a big first inning against right. you. It was a chance that that could have happened in night three against Baylor. Like you know, that was on the table without some good defensive plays. Yeah. But yeah, I was just just curious. And you know, Tennessee gave up nine hits, so we was able to kind of for as much as we've talked about leaving guys on base. You know, for the offense, the pitching at least worked around base runners successfully you know to give up only two runs on on nine hits feel like that's pretty solid only walked one batter so if you're looking for positives from the the pitching staff that's good as far as the lineup goes though like is there anything that stood out other than dryling continuing to um i guess he's now in the two spot i guess that that seems like burke is going to kind of get moved down the lineup the first game he was number two Looks like maybe Dryling's going to flip-flop with him and be at the top of the lineup. And then, of course, Tears continues to be on a tear. Like, I mean, he is a, he's a beast. Yeah. Um, personally, I'm, I'm really enjoying seeing Blake Burke kind of down and closer to the bottom of that lineup. I think it just gives you more versatility overall. And when guys like Dryling and, and Simo and Amick and Tears are all – swinging the bat like this to start the year, I don't think it, it's a bad thing at all to be able to have a guy like Blake Burke at like the six or seven spot in your lineup. So I think it's honestly added power and kind of a little bit of a wrinkle that adds some versatility to this team. Yeah, I know Russell has a stranglehold on the station's relationship with Vitello, but if I could ask Vitello, I would be curious if he put Burke at second to start the year as maybe of a confidence thing and just to get more at bats and get more, you know, just looks and, yeah. and saying, hey, this is, we have confidence in you. We're moving up. But, like, because, I mean, I feel like he's perfect for, like, the sixth spot where you have some guys on base and he has some yeah. a chance to, you know, even with two outs, change the game with one swing of the bat. Whereas I, I, I still want my top of the lineup guys to be contact and get on base guys. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I don't really want my best home run hitter in the two spot. I want a guy that's going to hit some singles, draw some walks. He has some pop, sure. Everybody on this Tennessee lineup is going to have some pop. But, like. I don't know, I just wondered if Vitello had a method to doing that because it didn't make sense when I saw it, and he has since kind of course-corrected and moved him back to where I would have him. Yeah. I would baseball brain John Reed would have him. Personally, I agree. I'd rather have a guy like Dryling. I'd be more confident in a guy like Dryling being able to grind out longer at-bats at the top of that lineup than Burke will be able to. But, I mean, I think you know you can be disappointed in, in kind of the offensive output of this game, but you look at – baseball around the country and you know it's just yeah. it's an it's yeah. an up and down sport I mean you, you saw the number one team in the country in Wake Forest lose to UNC Greensboro last night Vandy's off to a tough start to their year they lost to Dayton yesterday so Mississippi State ready yeah. to fire their coach four games into the season like you're right about that and that's a good point it's not the same as basketball where an ugly win still makes Bob come in here and in his show notes be like do we really have to talk about this says the ugliest game Tweeted out that he was going to bed. I mean, Bob was going through it. Bob was disgusted last <laughs> night at a at a conference road win. Meanwhile, baseball, you have a pretty ugly game against UNC Asheville, but you actually feel good about the win just because you actually can lose these games. 
in baseball. You, yeah, you had Wake Forest, the number one team in the country, go down. So is that going to be a new rivalry, by the way, Tennessee fans versus Wake Forest? It seems like Wake Forest makes it, wants to make it a rivalry more than Tennessee fans do. What was the change the narrative thing? Or in the narrative? Was it in the narrative or change the narrative? I think it was in the narrative. In the narrative. I, what, what was that narrative? That, that To me, it felt like it was a shot at us saying that we didn't believe he was a starting pitcher, I guess. That's we, the narrative? We, we thought that more he was a, an arm out of the bullpen. I don't know. They deleted the tweet. They got bullied into deleting think, the tweet? I think they got bullied into deleting the tweet. Well, the, the rivalry's on. Yeah. The rivalry is on. They have successfully called us out. We are ready to go. We are prepared for Philadelphia. We are ready to get the rivalry back going. But I, I went through, as I'm one to do, Bob, and I, I like to check the, the replies of, of accounts, especially when they lose a game they're not supposed to. And I know it's the algorithm, too, but every reply to the Wake Forest score tweet was just Tennessee fans <laughs> talking trash. Well, I, yeah, I was going to say that. I, I didn't see that narrative tweet, but, the, man, if Tony saw that, that's got to be rocket fuel for him, too. I mean – He'll, he'll use that. Um, I don't know how much Tony's going to care about it unless we match up with them, but the fan base, of course, is going to carry the fight for Tony. Of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah we, we are the proxy of Tony. We, we will fight for Tony because I don't think Tony ever came out and said Burns wasn't a starting pitcher. I think he said, hey, like, Burns needs to go to the bullpen. But, like, it wasn't like Tony didn't believe in Burns. He, he got to pitch all of our biggest moments. And got to pitch starting pitch, you know, pitch count innings, uh, you know, late in the season in big games too. So, you know, I don't know if that's what they were going for, if that's what they're talking about in their circles at Wake Forest. But, yeah, it was a bad time to send that tweet and then turn around and lose the next game. And then, of course, Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt got kind of, I don't say dominated, but that wasn't even like a close game, right? That was like a yeah. eight to five, or I know they lost by three runs. I'm pretty sure to to Dayton. Speaking of that, because I always think about Russell always does it, you know, talks about the Vandy boys. And uh, it, I saw a tweet last night. I wonder if that was Dayton trolling them because they said, you know, chalk one up for the fly boys is what they were calling it. Uh, for... They might call themselves that all the time. I don't know. Yeah. I Maybe. Mean, they're, they're the flyers. We yeah. know that. But, uh, yeah. And, like, I know fly guys and fly girls was a like, – the fly girls were a thing. But, like, I don't know if Dayton baseball is – holding on to, like, In Living Color and, like, Jennifer Lopez, you know, getting her start as dancing and whatever, as the Fly Girls. But, like, I, I don't know if that's what they're going for. Dayton Fly Boys. Let's see here if that comes up. Um, there's a Fly Boys deli in, I bet in Dayton. I bet it's a troll. I bet that's good. What happened to the Fly Boys? Um, that's an air raid. That's a war thing. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I need to maybe search the hashtag to see if they've actually tweeted Flyboys more than that because it's a good troll. It's yeah. a good troll if not. Back to uh, watching yesterday. I Actually, that, that batting order feels right, one through six. You know, I mean, if you think about setting the table and everything else, and I love tears and cleanup. I mean, that – He's he's already my favorite player. A couple games in that lineup yesterday too was without Cannon Peebles starting that one right. too. So I think that's a, another guy that you can kind of throw in there in the top of that lineup. Yeah, and you got no issue with him not playing yesterday. No, no, right? no like no, I mean, especially not. at catcher, you you've had Vitello say our goal is to have our catchers fresh at the end of the season. Peebles in particular is going to be very important when it comes to our postseason success. 
it, it's so exciting having a catcher that you feel confident in at the plate. It's been a while since Tennessee's had that. I mean, Russell, you had confidence in, but like the drop off from Russell has been stark. And even Russell, this guy's going to be you know a lot better than him or supposed to be. I was going to ask that question. Is I mean, obviously Stark was a liability last year. I mean, is he is he hurt or is he just that far down the bench? Yeah, I mean, he's just more of a defensive guy, yeah. you know. And I think Charlie Taylor is a, a good defender as well and brings you a little bit more kind of at the at the plate too. So you'll see Cal Stark get in there a, a little bit, but I think that is something that Vitello has been pretty uh, pretty vocal on is kind of just rotating those those three guys at catcher. I regretfully inform you that. The Fly Boys is a thing for Dayton. Ah. That's a thing. They, they've been tweeting about it before the Vanderbilt game. Okay. At least four days ago against whatever weekend series they had. I don't want to scroll back all the way to like last year to see if they were doing it last year, but it, it does appear that it's been a thing. It, it wasn't just a troll. It wasn't just a troll. It's a good troll, though, even if it wasn't intended. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure there were plenty of Vanderbilt fans that took it that way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Dayton basketball should take on that nickname. Yeah. They're hot. Yeah, they are. They're hot. They- I have a friend who is a Dayton basketball fan, and it's so funny that they're good because for like three years he's been talking about how much he hates Anthony Grant and like how terrible <laughs> Anthony Grant is and how he wants him fired and all this stuff, and then you turn around and like Dayton's actually pretty good at basketball again. It's just funny. So Tennessee gets the uh, another game today against ETSU. I assume we don't know who the starting pitcher is yet. Yeah. You Tony know that, pretty much announced it right when we went off the air yesterday right. at 10 o'clock. <laughs> yeah. I imagine it's going to be something similar today. So we'll find out with you guys at 10 o'clock. Any other baseball thoughts? I mean, it's a long season, obviously. Winning better than losing. It just feels good to have baseball back. It just means spring is coming. And I got to say, I enjoyed getting tested. Yeah. I enjoyed like having a close game. Those are good. In the eighth inning. You know, it was tied after the fifth. And to, you know, come up and manufacture a run in the seventh with a sack fly and then to have your your bullpen make it look easy. I mean, they didn't even have a threat in the eighth or ninth. You just went ahead and you, you got the shutdown innings you needed and, and Hunley gets a save or I guess maybe even got the win, actually. He got the he win. Got the win. Yeah, the, he got, got the, the save. Win. Yeah, because we, we scored in the seventh. Yeah, he, got, he gets the win. So, but I mean, he. Didn't give up any runs, and he has some confidence coming out of the bullpen now. So that uh, is overall a productive day as far as I'm concerned. Broke last year's attendance record, too. Oh, nice. What was the attendance? Uh, just shy of 4,700, it says. 4,699. And that was bigger than any crowd last year? Last year, the home opener uh, record was 4,550. Okay, so broke the home, home opener. Record. Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Well, I was going to say, I mean, it's gonna be, we're going to break the attendance record because with the added oh, seats yeah, and stuff, absolutely. it's coming. Absolutely. But. Yesterday didn't feel like it was the most packed it's ever been, so I was a little confused. But, yeah, no, I mean, like, the crowd showed up, man. Like, the, the crowd is there. And, like, you know, I don't know if we are if we need the 10,000-seat stadium that people have wanted and, like, to expand much more than, like, 6,500. But to get 4,000 people in there for an opener, or at least 4,000 tickets sold for an opener, that's a huge deal. You used to struggle to get that for SEC play. You wouldn't even get that for SEC play. So the fact now it's more of a sustained year-round thing, you know, credit to Vitello. I know he doesn't need me to say that because he gets plenty of respect, but what he's built here is still important to kind of step back and look at and admire. Having not been over there for a while, it's amazing what the stadium looks like now versus the last time I was there. I mean, it was a 
It was Tony's got it built so much that that Bob, you know, comes out of his castle and goes and and watches baseball in person. Now it took him what seven years to get him over there, six years to get him over there, but he, he did it. Good job, Tony. He probably walked out of the dugout, looked to the left field. He's like, man, this stadium's nice, but having Bob in the crowd's yeah. nicer. That that means everything. There was a triangle nod between him and me and Danny White up, up on the walkway. We all kind of gave each other the nod, like, like well done, guys. We're, we're, uh, we're good. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> we'll switch gears. We'll talk some NFL. We talked quarterbacks yesterday. We'll talk some running backs and, and, and stories that's happening in the league right now. Stick with us. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio.